0: Hey everyone, just a friendly heads up, this is part two of our discussion. So after the intro, we're going to dive right into it. If you missed part one, feel free to go back and check that out.
1: Hi everyone. Welcome to the Beyond Deadlines podcast, where we tackle challenges that planning and schedule leaders come across on a day-to-day basis. My name's Greg Lawton, and I'm the CEO of an AI schedule management company called Knows and Links.
0: And I'm Micah Pipo, a planning and scheduling manager for Intel. Hi, and I'm Ian hepton
2: I'm Associate Professor in Project Management at the University of Birmingham in the UK, uh, but I'm a re- late career academic, so most of my career has been spent practitioner on
1: projects. Wonderful. Ian, a pleasure to have you here. For everyone listening, each podcast is designed to give you strategies and tactics that you can implement right away. Today, Ian is in the hot seat. You are the longtime friend and mentor of the CEO of a major general contractor. And she's asked you to come in to assess the quality of the project management function. What do you do?
0: One, this may be a little bit on a tangent, but when I look at the the market of general contractors and the supply chain for construction, it seems very commodity-like to me. Now, you can go up in the chain and get a Bechtel or a Floor. They can do bigger things, but it's the same commodity. And so do you see an avenue for a general contractor to be, I'll call more luxury-based? So adding the skill sets that you're talking about and speaking of, and luxury doesn't sell to everyone. It's not a commodity. You know, There's only certain people who buy Gucci bags for a reason, and Gucci advertises to yeah. them. Do you see that as a potential path forward for any GCs? And if so, why aren't more taking that path?
2: I do see it as a path forward, Micah, but I'm not sure I see it as luxury, uh, which which brings the connotation of a premium pricing, uh, which I, I normally make a comment on, because I've heard this a lot in people who work in the construction and infrastructure sector, when I talk about collaborative contracting and project said It's great when we have to, you know, as though it's a premium product. My view is, if you want the cheapest chips and a good enough quality project, why shouldn't you be able to achieve that with a team that collaborates and doesn't have all this wasteful activity of unnecessary comer- contractual policing? Uh, yeah, I don't see any logic why... Uh, a team with great collaboration can't deliver significantly cheaper and faster than any other mechanism, other than maybe we're not doing it right. So uh, yeah, putting aside the luxury thing, uh, yes, I believe that there's a significant opportunity there, uh, but main contractors would need to deliver uh, uh, sort of develop some confidence, some competence, and then the confidence themselves that hey, this stuff will work. Now we can start offering it to clients, not only those clients who are asking us to work more collaboratively. And there are a number of those, but there's still few and far between. But I also think that a main contract could say, hey, we can operate collaboratively downstream. uh, And if our ultimate client still wants a fixed price lump sum, because we know how to collaborate with our supply chain, And in the right sort of contracts, meaning those that the clients leave us reasonably well alone to do our own thing, then I do not see why a collaborative supply chain shouldn't be inherently lower cost, inherently less wasteful, therefore, the ability to make the same, if not more, profit margin for the participants, whilst giving the client uh, a lower project cost and a faster completion, and therefore, higher return on investment.
0: See, that sounds like, luxury to me. That's why I used the word luxury, because that sounds luxury to me. You know, and I, and I don't well, mean it Because it as... doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> a little you know, bit. I, I, I wasn't saying it in terms of it costs, that you just don't pay more, yeah. but you get a ton yeah. of value out of it and you're willing to pay for that value. I guess that's that'd yeah. be my definition yeah. of luxury. Greg, you were going to say yeah. something. So
1: what I'm going to do now is actually take Micah our Philosophy of grilling and actually bring it up to the three of us. And I'm gonna say, Ian, let's let's assume you're correct on everything. Okay. What are the things that the GCs could offer or the clients could offer that would legitimately change the game? And I'll start for example. You mentioned you mentioned one before a guarantee. So mm-hmm. a guarantee that something if something is not well you could have a, a positive a negative guarantee if we are not delivered by that date we will cover everything no questions asked etc the kind of guarantee you get in a high end suit shop as opposed to a contractor let's throw out of the window how practical these are for now because that's a downstream figuring thing out but let's throw out what would yeah. legitimately change the game in terms of what people are offering mm. ideas. And, and you've just
2: stolen one of them, because I think if, you, if you're if you driving this change from a main contractor point of view, that's yeah, exactly a way, hopefully, to get people's attention, is to offer the, the project owners that sort of... Uh, Uh, Guarantee to show you're willing to put your money where your mouth is. That that would be seen with suspicion because of the recent past history. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's one of the things that could be done. But if I'm the owner or the chief exec of that main contractor, I should say, well, if you're able to maintain your current pricing, I believe you could make that offer and probably uh, at least double, if not triple, the uh, profitability of the organization you're working for. I think the opportunity is that significant, just by getting better yeah. at delivering
1: what you need to deliver. Another thing that's come to mind is um, to treat... So for me, I was always taught that in general, general contractors are fundamentally just three things. Number one is a supply chain management company. Number two is a bidding company. And number three is an insurance company which they execute via project management and risk management. Uh-huh. On, the, on the first one, what you could actually do is give full transparency of the supply chain and allow potential clients to go and ask questions of pricing to your supply chain and actually just accept, we just coordinate 80% of these people. If you would like to go to them directly and contract them or tell another person I'd like to go to them, fine, go for it. You're just not going to do it as well as us. And by the way, if you screw us over, we won't let you access the supply chain again. Mm-hmm. So that could be one. Which is, feel free to contact anyone in our supply chain and ask them how much stuff costs. You know what capacity they have. What it's like working for us, etc. Yeah. And. and
2: be- I would agree with that, because what I will be offering as a main contractor, general contractor, to the owners is mm-hmm. I want to make money by managing and synchronizing this contract. I think you termed it yeah, supply chain management. But at the level of the contract of the project, making the project workflow more smoothly, not treating these contractors and subcontractors at arms like and that's where a significant opportunity arises, because you know, projects work well and go wrong based on the interfaces between the different people, organisations and specialisations. And I think that interfacing skill is one that's atrophied. And mm-hmm. the GCs, the MCs are in the prime position to build that competence up again. I know a few are. If I look at those involved in the lean construction movement, they're talking about things like that. I know that large, hands-on, capable owners uh, like the Intels of this world have an understanding across the whole of that supply chain and the value of making all these bits work together and not hold anything up.
1: But sadly, it's still too rare. Um, I've got got a third
0: idea, by the way, but I think it's time. Micah, Ian, what are your ideas? I think for me is diving back into that. I'm going to stick on that luxury thing. I would mm-hmm. love to see exclusivity. You only bid certain projects. You only work for certain owners. Once you build up this brand and idea that, you know the the MGI, the Micah Greg Ian uh, GC mm-hmm. delivers projects on time. They guarantee that delivery. Then you only work for certain people who set up the pens that are able for you to go knock down. You don't work for everybody. You don't go get every job. You don't have to do that. You know what makes you successful. Yeah. Yeah. And so you're going to get probably, you know, out of a hundred inbounds, you're going to take 10 projects. And that's, that's what I would like to see because you are so confident and successful in what you do. You know what makes you successful that then people will be knocking at your door to come get it but it would force them to change to you rather than when we bring GCs in on the owner's side, we're like, you will do what we say. And it works, yeah. you know, like how it works.
2: Yeah, and, and there's, there's a saying we used to use when I did lots of procurement work that the best suppliers, you need them more than they need you. The best suppliers in their market have already got plenty of customers. The ones who were willing to put up with your tortuous, bureaucratic, extended, uncertain bidding process are those who haven't got customers queuing up at the door and can't and, and aren't turning work away. So I think that's a, a good reminder on that point, Micah. Um, so back back to your question, Greg. Uh, yeah, I've got a magic wand and I will uh, so, suddenly... Um, Change things. I don't. I don't know how to change it. My my perfect world would have a totally different raft of trusted advisors advising large infrastructure owners than we have today. Uh, who is an advisor? My, what do you mean? Uh, the, the the large specialist project consultancy companies who advise uh, clients on how to set them up. They're the people mm-hmm. who use the term delivery model and they mean purchasing model because many of them actually have a significant vested interest in the status quo. Mm -hmm. And I'm not not going to name many names, but there's large consulting organisations in that space who, you know, they sell tens, if not hundreds of thousands of bodies to work on projects to administer the tortuous commercial and administration and bureaucratic relationships set up by many of the standard forms and standard approaches. So I, I, my magic wand would give clients either somehow uh, a lot of confidence to make their own decisions. The, the ability to critically analyse, you know, is what I'm being advised actually the best thing to do? So mm-hmm. that you, you realise that you know, some of the advice has been in more of the interest of the advisors. Now, I've worked in consulting and this is uh, a common feature of the consulting industry. Yeah, it's why large consultancies offer pro bono work to governments. So it's a long term strategy to create more work, isn't it?
1: There is. And there's actually, just thinking out loud, there's some models that they could take from in here. So I have one, one foot in project management and one foot in venture capital. And in venture capital, one of the techniques that I've seen used is they will get a super senior advisor from the industry and basically say, we will give you the opportunity to buy into this company at an at a below market price, but mm. you have to do due diligence. Now they're still putting their own money into a company, so yeah. you know they're going to do their due diligence properly. But it's below market price, so it's a big advantage. Now think of it yourself: if, if someone's asking you for fifty thousand to put in, mm. you're gonna. Why well, I don't know. I'm going to have a real think about. Is this etc. So it yeah. could be something like that, but I'll, I'll finish up on one the one final idea because it'll it'll drive me insane if I don't get it out and then have a think about it later. What if clients didn't tie um, payments or profit to milestones? They tied it to to process effectiveness. So, for example, they they became a bit of a heavier client and the gc was actually there for example they were they were compensated their profit based on predictability so you know if you can more perfectly predict what's going to happen and obviously you have the control mechanisms you get paid higher profit because that drives certainty and certainty decreases risk and risk is the real driving factor of roi Uh, Calculations in the business cases.
2: There's there's an important dilemma
1: that I see underpinning that, Greg. That
2: I think uh, highlights one of the issues in managing projects is that there's often an assumption that if the incremental detail steps on the way to a project hit micro milestones and follow a baseline exactly, that Mm -hmm. increases the chance that the overall project. Hits the the
1: targets. Oh, oh, this is a uh, controversial secrets of the industry here.
2: <laughs> I think that's true. Not not a, not only misleading, but actually yeah. drives the wrong behaviours. Because yeah. if you if you want more reliable project level achievement, final completion date, factory startup date, hundred percent production rate, total investment cost, then My view and quite a bit of experience says you need to let go of trying to track a very detailed baseline because most of the variation is unknowable. Mm -hmm. And in statistics, they talk about separating the signal from the noise. And most of what we see in KPIs is noise and we think it's signal. So we act and we risk making things worse. So... As, as, as we said in the preparation, you know, I'm quite a fan of the scheduling and execution method called critical chain. That's the only method I'm aware of that builds that philosophy in. Don't worry about whether the detailed work follows exactly some baseline. Mm-hmm. And doing that, now this isn't just I don't want to know I'm going to ignore my project until the end date and see if it's on time. That's not saying that, because there are different control mechanisms and things to look at. But you're looking more of how the work flows and what the obstacles to efficient and effective flow of work are. And, and when there is an obstacle, you, you actively overcome it, both on the spot and systemically. And forcing people to follow a tight baseline gets rid of a lot of those practices and behaviours. So that's the irony, yep. allowing work to take as long as it takes. But coming back to your earlier point, focus on the process of doing work, not the results it achieves, and you can actually have more reliable project-level outcomes that are not just more reliable, but are more reliable in less time. So it, the projects are on time, but faster, and they're on budget, mm-hmm. but for lower cost. And it it's very counterintuitive it it doesn't feel right
0: at all greg but when you mentioned possible. when you mentioned process what i first thought of was a project where it was supposed to be shell weather tight so you have the shell of the building and then you know, hit the milestone here's your money and I remember doing the site walk on the day show was weathertight, and they had tarps taped over the door. you know they had they, they had like every little thing you could do to just meet the definition they did, which then leads you to question, was that baseline milestone and those steps to take really worth that much yeah. value because they're not really at show weathertight. To me, then, paying for the process of setting up critical chain and having it work effectively would be a much better payment structure. That's what I thought of when you said process. I would gladly yeah. give someone, here's a 100 grand of profit. You set up critical chain effectively. I watched your process. It's working. The show weather type will come and go, but you're using the most effective planning strategy we know at this time, yeah. and I'm happy to pay for that process.
1: And, and to flip and it around as well, I'm fortunate enough that my, um, my co-founder, is a professor in complex systems and has researched all of this and and what you say and is and actually i run a large data science team and what you said we have seen in trillions of dollars of project data which is um the more you control the the more complex a system is the more unpredictable its behavior because the more states that system can occupy so the more ways it can go wrong. Uh-huh. And the way to control those systems is not to try and control those systems. The only way you can control effectively complex systems is through process and incentive mechanisms. Yeah. So for example, let, what if we paid every laborer each day 10% of their wage as a bonus if they finished their work safely and on time? Just something as simple as that. I don't have the evidence for this, but I would hypothesize that that would drive a significant increase in uh, predictability. But then if you topped onto it and saying, we'll pay you 20% if you actually spot a better way of doing something, it would just drive different behaviors at a lower level, which would mm. then bring it up to the critical chain, et
2: that those um, incentives are extremely powerful, but if if I was collaboratively contracting, the the main uh, deliverables that impacted the the profitability of the organisations would mm-hmm. be yeah, important completion. I'd be nervous about doing interim milestones. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they might help with some sort of interim. Uh, and as Micah said, if if the owner had a view that it wants to reward efforts made, as well as ultimate outcomes, it could it could do that as it went along. Okay. What, one of my first that did this uh, linked a significant proportion of our variable payment to safety. Mm-hmm. But there was an input element to the calculation. So the quality of the safety plan we had on site, the consistency with which it was delivered, were we doing what we said we would? Had a positive impact on our safety index and therefore our uh, end of project payment. You know, nasty accidents and serious hurt to people pulled it in the opposite direction, but we did design the incentives to balance the two because we didn't want you know the uh, the supply members just crossing the fingers and and hoping for a bit of luck in order to make the money. <clears throat> so tying that reward, yeah. You know, When it comes to that complexity, one of the pictures that uh, I use is that of a rapidly flowing stream.
1: Mm -hmm. Now,
2: if you look at the stream, you you can see shapes and you can see consistency and you can see predictability and you could manage the flow of water in the stream. If you zoom in to the level of molecules of water, it's random. There's no pattern whatsoever. If you look at a particular patch of a stream, there's water going in all directions. So there's no predictability. And that's the problem. If you incentivize craftspeople doing work, then you risk getting game playing. say, well, yeah, I don't know what rubbish is going to happen today, but since I'm being paid relative to my commitment, I'll make sure the commitment I make is one I know I can achieve. And mm-hmm. you get the 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 effect of uh, Sergei Bupka, something else you youngsters will have to Google and look up. But he broke the world record for pole vaulting, I think, about 35 times. And what drove that was athletics going professional. And each of the major athletics games had a bonus if an athlete broke a world record at their games. So he could probably have jumped this high, but he didn't. He increased two or three centimetres at a time and and had a big payout of bonuses uh, just because he wanted to hit that commitment his commitment was to break a world record at each
0: athletics event. that's never, not I've optimum. never heard that that's story. That's a great optimum. story. But there,
2: there's, there's me going off on a tangent. It's, well, uh,
0: you, now, Ian's saying that, yeah. I just want to tell our listeners, Ian's saying yeah. that as a negative, but I would say <laughs> that can be used as a positive in your workplace. You think about how mm-hmm. you could potentially do that. Don't always think that that is a negative. I get that's a negative oh. for incentivizing yeah. people, but you know, sometimes just mm-hmm. just getting that gold medal is all you need to do.
2: If you're the person doing it, if I was in Booker's <laughs> position, that's exactly yeah. what I'd have done as well.
0: Yeah. Micah's <laughs> unethical life pro tips. There you go.
2: Nah,
1: follow the rules. Somebody sets the rules. You
0: there. You go. Exactly. Follow them
1: to your advantage. Right then. With that, we've been talking <laughs> for quite a while, and I think this has been a fantastic conversation, Ian. Before we finish, have you got any final thoughts that you'd like to impart on the listeners?
2: Only that, uh, have faith, major projects can be managed uh, significantly better, but with much less stress and much more enjoyment. But I think we need to sort out how we contract and reward people uh, across the supply chain, as well as how we schedule and control the flow of work get those sorted and uh, uh, things can be significantly better for all of us.
1: Wonderful. And Mike, as soon as you were giving unethical advice a second ago, would you like to give some more
0: advice that's potentially less unethical? I I probably should at this point just keep my mouth shut. So that's what I'm going to (laughs) do. Be be ethical, people. Be ethical. (laughs) Always follow the rules, as Ian said. Wonderful.
1: Well, with that, we'll close out this episode. But if you've enjoyed it, please give it a like and please share it with some people in your organization or your friends who would like to listen. Uh, Micah and I track subscribers on every, you know, every couple of weeks and it just gives us that nice little endorphin rush to see that people actually like what we're making because we give up our Sundays and our Mondays to do this. So If you can do that, you help us out. With that, thank you very much.